0: really being able to, to not make it personal that things didn't go well, but to just look at it and say, I can do better next time and not make it like, Mm. oh, I'm not good at this. That's a story Mm. that you can, that you can supplant as a belief if you let it, it it will like get stuck to you versus being like, I'm going to try a different way tomorrow.
1: Hello, and welcome to the One Mind Meditation Podcast, a show about meditation, mindfulness, and your health. My name is Morgan Dix, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Megan Marini. I've known Megan for probably about six or seven years, and I met her as part of the spiritual community I used to be in. And then when we moved to Boston, she lived in the area, and I got to know her a little bit better. I love Megan. She's awesome. She's a speaker on emotional intelligence and conscious leadership, and she's just got a deep and powerful history in spirituality. So after leaving a job in finance to teach yoga, this was back in like 2000, she dove into wellness and leadership and later attended Naropa University, a contemplative psychology and Buddhist college where she started building communities and mission-driven brands. So today, a long time later, she runs the Boston Men's Group, and that's a project she started that prepares men for the shifting power dynamics in the workforce through leadership and self-awareness training. Megan is a powerhouse. You are going to love this interview. I really loved doing it, Megan's a lot of fun, and I think you're going to get a lot out of hearing her insights and learning about her own development. So please join me in welcoming Megan Marini to the One Mind Podcast. Megan, welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to have you on here, and I know that our audience is going to love this show. So thank you for being here.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Morgan.
1: Awesome. So, everybody, I've known Megan probably for the last I don't know six years or so, and we met through I think Kenzo on, he, He's one of my closest friends, and at a certain point, I remember him talking about you and just how great you were, and that you got to meet Megan Marini, and da da, she's so dynamic, uh-huh. and da da da, and uh, so yeah. Eventually, I think we just we we travel in a lot of overlapping communities and circles of friends and yeah. then recently i saw one of your posts on instagram and it, and it immediately sparked for me just an insight i was like okay i got i totally want to invite megan onto the show i think she's doing some pretty incredible stuff and i think our audience would really benefit from hearing from you so everybody that that's kind of how it started and, and megan i would love to just start By asking you a little bit well first about like maybe if you could give everyone just like a super quick high-level overview of of what you do professionally and then let's back up after that and and talk about how you got into meditation when did it start how did it start and just share a bit about your story
0: yeah i love it um well first i want to say Hello, everyone. This is so exciting to be on a platform like this, where you're you're speaking into a mic to another human being. Yeah, and it feels sort of intimate in that sense. But then it's going out to like all of these other people. Yes, who I haven't met yet, right? So it's really, um, it's a fascinating tool that we have. Yeah, but yeah, so I'm really excited. Um, And now I've already forgotten what was the first question. So
1: (laughs) maybe just like give people like a really. Brief, like you're just the elevator what I pitch. What I'm yeah, doing what do you these do?
0: Days. What I'm doing these days. Yeah, sorry. Um. So, so I call it conscious leadership, and it's a training to stay embodied and specifically for leaders. And that would be um, really understanding um, the breath, self mastery, and then some communication um, techniques and some mm-hmm. secu- communication skills. So, that's the conscious leadership piece. And then the yeah. other piece is I'm um, wrangling up some um, men in Boston, and I've started the Boston Men's Group. And it's very similar work. It's um, working with creating some inner resources for men, as well as some outer resources like communication skills again. Mm, mm-hmm. And I'm um, using some of the same techniques.
1: That's awesome. Well, let's. Yeah. I'm so I'm super curious to learn a little bit more about like your journey. What, you know, what were the things that brought you to right now and got you involved in the work that you do? And I, I know just from our preliminary conversation, you've been meditating forever. I, you've been meditating for a long time. So if, if you don't mind just taking us back, like, where did you start with your practice and how did that all begin?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I started, so my mom was um, an avid meditation practitioner mm-hmm. and she was into all sorts of stuff. She was an herbalist and a homeopath. So we were doing pretty progressive stuff. Yeah. I was, I was practicing like bending a spoon with my mind when I was like four years old. <laughs> wow. Like never successful, I have to admit. Um, but I definitely came from a, the paradigm was that you could do things like that with your mind. So um, very interesting sort of yeah. framework of a childhood. And then we started a meditation. I joined with my mom a weekly meditation group when I was about seven. And it was an Edgar, Edgar Casey group. And we read the teachings of Jesus Christ. So um, not very religious, but much more that he was, you know, one of the teachers. Mm-hmm. Recognized, um, awakened. Yeah. So, so we did that. That was a really um, powerful way, I think, to sort of set your brain up as a child. You yeah,
1: know? yeah. How old were you? Seven, you said. I think we
0: were seven when I started wow. the weekly work. Yeah, and I think once you start doing something consistent, even though you know we all we strive for a daily practice, weekly for a kid is is pretty good.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um,
0: yeah, and then later. Later on, um, I kind of unplugged from my teenage years and was, a, was a true socialite. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, um, but I, I would definitely access this state of peace where things would be happening and I was like, why is Megan so relaxed?
1: <laughs> Interesting.
0: Yeah. I got and up. is that,
1: is that something that came through just all the different things you're doing with your mom or particularly that Edgar Casey work or?
0: I think the meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're able to access the breath to not let your emotions overwhelm you, you know, to Mm -hmm. to sort of create that safe space within that's irrelevant of the environment. So, or perhaps just more responsive to the environment in the correct way or Mm. something. So, later I got involved, um, this is a little, (laughs) I mean, it sounds a little out there, but it's really cool. Um, Wait,
1: one second, Uh Megan, I realized... Can you just say a word before you jump into this next segment? Mm -hmm. Who was Edgar Casey? And can you just say a little bit about his teachings, such as they were?
0: Definitely. Yeah. So, Edgar Casey, he was a channel. So, um, I guess you have to be a little bit um, open minded, really to access his his work, but he's he's recognized across the world, he would go into a trance state and get sort of a download of information, very specifically around health concerns for people, Mm -hmm. And it would it could transfer into like personal growth and needing to have a certain conversation or whatnot that would like do such things as like dislodge cancer in the body and stuff. Right. Or like move things through. So a lot of really amazing success stories. Mm -hmm. And he was um, counsel. He was called to counsel on people from all over the place. So he he could do virtual there'd be a child born with some weird disease no one could figure out. And they would um, hear about Edgar when he was alive and and pay him to do like a, a remote session. And, um, some of the stuff he would, he would talk about food and, um, um, is it a Comfrey press? Oh, somebody on this on the on the podcast knows the press because I was thinking about it last night. He huh. he. Um, is it Comfrey? What is it? I forget the kind of press. I don't. He always he's always talking about like how to um, cleanse the body, and mm. things like this. But he yeah. would access a higher a higher state and bring the information. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um,
1: Thank you. Cool.
0: Yeah, I hope that was good. I'm sure there's yeah, a lot yeah. about Edgar. I haven't really like revisited that work. I mean, I went to Egypt and Israel with, with a group of Americans that were practicing with Edgar Casey. Wow. And then he has, yeah, it was really bad. We followed the path that Jesus had um, tracked on. We went to like the Holy That's Land. Amazing.
1: Like, so you consciously were like just tr- following his footsteps.
0: Yeah, and we meditated, and we went into the the temples in Egypt and like meditated and Wow, yeah, you know, it was pretty pretty and cool.
1: That's, that's all when you were like a a, a tween, like a pre teenager.
0: No, e- Egypt, I was like twenty one.
1: Oh, nice, got it.
0: Yeah, it's pretty young.
1: Yeah, um, definitely.
0: What was I gonna say? I forget. I forget.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So cool, and he had yeah. teachings in addition oh, no. to like channeling.
0: yeah what else i feel like i'm missing it Uh, i'm blindsided with something of of his teachings but he he has a center the thing i was going to mention he has a center in virginia beach as well where they do things like colonics and like cleanses all with his um teaching Mm -hmm. um i think it's castor oil is what it Mm -hmm. is so Mm -hmm. doing like using castor oil packs to um heal the body things like eating seven almonds a day and he (laughs) he
2: has all of these um nice yeah
1: cool all right well that that gives me a little sense of him i just i'd heard i i definitely heard the name edgar casey but i i wouldn't have been able to say anything about him and and so yeah that's really helpful
0: yeah yeah So, um, he's definitely into like past lives and coming back and, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of seeing beyond this this sheath of being.
1: Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff.
1: Uh, Interested in all of it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) I'm like, I, this life to me is enough. And, um, you know, not that I'm afraid to go back or forward, but, um, I think there's so much data and it's so rich to just be present. Mm. And that's really how you transform any, any kind of trauma from a past life or from this life. I do believe in multiple incarnations. Yeah i do (laughs) yeah you told me i could say anything here so yeah i uh, i know i'm with you i mean it's really wild stuff and i actually don't talk about this stuff very much because i'm teaching in a a very corporate setting so it's interesting like you know you don't really want to talk about past lives
1: (laughs) no yeah not in our culture anyways i
0: love it though it's like i just i you know i think that there's as much we don't know
1: Absolutely, I I couldn't agree more. Awesome. Before I t- took us into the Edgar Casey digression, you were about to talk about the next jumping chap- into yeah the next, next chapter. chapter. That's right.
0: So this this was actually the teaching idea they were talking about bending a spoon. My mother was a Rosicrucian, and then I um I later started meditating and practicing with the Rosicrucians. Mm. And this is another sort of obscure sort of sect of, of, of thinking it's taken from the ancient Egyptian. Um, it's sort of a philosophy or even a religion from ancient Egypt,
2: mm. which
0: works all with tonality. And it's connected all with the like hieroglyphics and the stories within um, the gods of, of the ancient Egyptian times where each God would have a certain vibration and color. So I did that. I started that meditation. It was pretty. It's pretty deep stuff. I know Einstein and Jesus Christ both practiced. Both were in that that lineage.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, I did that for a while. We used to meet in Alston. It was really cool. And then we'd go to this like healthy Thai restaurant, or maybe it was nice. a Vietnamese, Vietnamese restaurant after. It was so cool. Um, but all working with meditation is basically self mastery and meditation, and then. Um, I was working at State Street Bank and started teaching yoga, and really felt like i I just had to go teach yoga. So I ended up um, really jumping wholeheartedly into the practice of, of yoga and um, ended up moving down to a yogic ashram and living there for a year mm. when i was that was around twenty one, I think. so yeah. yeah,
1: that was the year two thousand one. was that it? I think so. Yep. So
0: I don't know when Egypt, Egypt was before then. I don't really know. I'm so bad with like the calendar. But yeah, yeah all sure. around there, all this happened. And then later I went like a, a year or two later, I went out to Boulder to um, study at Naropa, which is a Buddhist college. Well, started by a Buddhist and a beatnik, right?
1: Yes. Tra- yeah. Chagyam Trungpa, right?
0: Rinpoche. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. How, and, what did you study there?
0: I went out there to learn um, somatic psych and um, dance therapy. Mm-hmm. So I was teaching yoga in, gr- you know, teaching groups primarily. I mean, I did some um, one-on-one private sessions, but mostly it was in group. And I was really fascinated by how trauma gets stuck in the body. hmm how it's released by the act of be, putting yourself into a new position and bringing the breath through. And, um, and I always, I just, there's something really exciting to me about working in group, the way things come up in the way mm-hmm. the group is transformed. Yeah. And also how it's sort of like the psyche expresses itself in group. I think, I think it's really fascinating. Like I was, um, I've done a lot of dance and, um, I remember the capoeira. Do you know capoeira? Yes. So cool, right? It's like. incredible. Yeah. So the slaves in, in Brazil kept their um, ability to, or not ability, but their um, sort of their dance sequences and their fight sequences were like interwoven. Mm. And that's how they kept their culture alive and made sure everyone could defend themselves. And they would dance around, keep in good shape. And it's considered play. Mm. Um, sometimes you can be taken and it can be a little I, I found it to be a little aggressive at times where someone's like kicking you like almost in the face. <laughs> I'm like, Whoa uh, Yeah, ow. But in the circle you see so much of people's sort of ego and how the ego comes out. And when you can see it, that's when you can transform it. And mm. a lot of times the way we're set up is like, you know, we try to hide. Our inadequacies, or what would be considered inadequacies, and in circle they show up, and you're like, oh, there it is. And hey, you're still gonna be my friend. <laughs> yeah. And hey, yes. I still love you. So. Let's play again, right?
2: Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> and that is like, to me, the whole reason why we meditate is to be able to just keep going. It's like, it's like the, yeah. your enlightenment, and then laundry. You still going <laughs> to you still going to do your.
2: That's sh- right. <laughs> you know I mean? Yes. It's like.
0: Yeah, so, but yeah, so um, Naropa was really awesome, and um, yeah, really a transformative experience. Mm -hmm. I practiced, um, I did a lot of different things. I ended up having to go down the track of performance, which it was their first time starting a performance um, program at Naropa, because I was an undergrad. Yeah. They were like, you can't practice dance therapy without a four-year psych degree. So you have to come in at the performance level. And I was like, that doesn't sound like what I want to do. I'm here to like heal and work in group. And um, I ended up getting convinced because I was like, well, I've canceled all my yoga classes. I might as well still go. And um, yeah, it was interesting. It kind of sent me on this, this different path. Mm -hmm. And I'm using now performance in some of the work that I'm doing training leaders. Mm. So I think in one sense, even though I don't have like, you know, a PhD in psychology and I'm leading groups in healing now, it's like, I'm, I don't know, I have almost like a multidisciplinary way at looking at things that I wouldn't have had, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's interesting. What, what, so in terms of the performance context, I'm curious, like, how do you find that synergizing with what you, what you were talking about, like the healing that comes through embodiment? Hey there. So are you interested in starting a meditation practice? Do you already have a meditation practice but you feel like it's flagging let me introduce you to the meditation for life mini course your guide to discovering the positivity balance and the ocean of calm that's already inside you as you know on this podcast we interview people who have in many respects discovered that ocean of calm for themselves And through our Meditation for Life mini course, we're really trying to provide you with the tools that are going to give you the ability to tap into that same positivity and balance and calm inside of yourself. Really, it's a way to discover a sustainable source of daily happiness. It's self-paced, and it's going to take you on a journey and give you some really essential tools so we're talking a simple course here it's like five in-depth lessons five guided meditations a couple beautiful infographics a meditation challenge but basically if you can imagine what it would feel like to walk into work for example feeling light and free and ready for anything if you can imagine being ready to manage family disputes with calm presence or to stop beating yourself up and start caring more for the most important person in your life, you. So let's be clear up front. It doesn't take a lot of time, but if you invest a little every day, meditation can change your life. It's like learning any new skill. It gets a little easier each time. When you meditate every morning for 10 to 15 minutes, you'll notice things starting to change because every day you're doing the inner work, the hardest work first. You'll start your day generating focus, clearing your mind, and establishing a confident and grounded center. So remember, I love this quote, the great filmmaker David Lynch says, the thing about meditation is, you become more and more you. So what are you waiting for? join us check out the meditation for life mini course over at aboutmeditation.com in terms of the performance context i'm curious like how do you find that synergizing with what you what you were talking about like the healing that comes through embodiment
0: I call it emotional range Mm -hmm. and I also I think of um, personality as performance which when you think of it like performance when you think of how you show up every day as performance you're able to create a little bit of space almost Mm -hmm. as if you've you've painted the mask yourself right if you've ever Mm -hmm. been in one of those workshops there's, um, there's a lot of um, studies that show that mask-making is, is a really transformative process because typically you're expressing some part of the psyche. Hmm. Whether it's um, an issue with your identity or expressing some trauma or fear, things come out and we're usually you know, doing a self-portrait. So hmm. if you think of being in a leadership role, Typically what happens is our behaviors are sort of structured around our experiences that we've had up until this point. And oftentimes we you know we've read all of the books, we've done leadership training, and we're really, um, you know, moving the needle when it comes to um, improving who we are on a daily basis. But for the so that's happening, but also, we're falling into who we were yesterday more Mm -hmm. more than not right yeah and it's really hard to um change behavior if you haven't changed um, the deep-seated beliefs that are that are provoked by the trauma Mm -hmm. the the um occasions of trauma that happened so if you can start to dig into that area and look at it then you can when you come out the next day to be that full leader Maybe you're going to show up a little bit differently, and what is what does that look like? Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, it is performance, and you need to practice a new way of being, and you need to stand with your shoulders open wide and look somebody straight in the eye. If you if you tend to look away, whatever those little traits are that you show up, I think that once you are fully embodied, it becomes easier to have emotional range, but um, I think you need to orchestrate it in a sense when you're first starting. So you have to decide what role you want to play. Yeah. We don't think about, I I don't think that we think about very often unless we're like, okay, I have to give a talk. But if you're giving the same meeting every Monday morning for five years to pretty much the same team, maybe some turnover, you may approach the the meeting the same way every time. Yeah. (laughs) Chances are you will. you know. But if you say like not just framing the, the um, conversation differently, but how you show up. So how you express your personality. Yes. I don't know if it makes sense. That, that's a really
1: helpful example, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I have um, some of the exercises we do is with tonality
1: mm-hmm. and
0: using your voice in different ways. So coming in with different octaves. Yeah. Um, showing up with a, more warmth in your voice, more energy in your voice. Mm. um, physically using your hands more, how you might approach putting your hand on someone's shoulder, which is, um, a very rare choice in a, in a corporate setting to yeah. use that, um, as, as sort of, um, you know, a social tactic to gain rapport, but it's actually, um, when it's, when it's appropriate it's extremely powerful mm. um if you're really studying relationship development and you know who you're talking to which is a, a key element in um influence yeah so yeah like these types of things like yeah but like body mechanics like where do you typically communicate from are you communicating from your gut <laughs> Yeah. Are you up? Are you up in your head? And you're really excited about this presentation. You've been practicing for forty, forty four hours. You know, for <laughs> yeah. the talk, and you're so excited to see what people think. They're going to have a hard time receiving that information. Yeah, you can't come from your gut, which is yeah. a performance technique.
1: Yeah. Gosh. All right. Well. So a lot of there's a lot of things coming up for me like as you're talking about all this like a lot well just questions and whatnot did you did you finish your thread well just
0: one more thing that I think is cool and and sort of like um interlocking with meditation is like the breathing you know and really um knowing what's happening with your breath as you're I call it performing whether it's you're performing to your you know your team of three or you're presenting to a room of you know, five thousand. It's like, where's your breath? And it, it seems so simplistic, but it's the it's the base of moving energy and um sort of mastering the energy of your body. So
1: that's cool. All right. Well, I wanna circle back to this uh this focus on the breath in just a little bit, but but before we because I I from my own experience I, I resonate with what you're saying very deeply. But then just to kind of reflect on a few of the things that you were talking about, about this kind of synergy of the meditation and the performance and the, the kind of working with trauma. And as you, you know, you called it, what, what did you call emotional range? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, so one thing that you talked about in terms of performance reminded me, of course, about, of the work of Amy Cuddy.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And, you know, how you hold yourself in the posture. And she's done all that really interesting work on, you know, some studies, which now I I know some of them are, are, you know, there's questions around the veracity of her results. But overall, I think it's still very compelling how you hold yourself and how you project yourself corresponds to changes in the brain, corresponds to all these very powerful psychosomatic changes that increase your capacities as a leader and how you project Mm -hmm. yourself. And so I, that to me, like sounds like there's parallels to what you're saying there. And, and of course, like the whole fake it till you make it not in any pejorative sense, but like sometimes you have to project a self in certain situations that you may not be a hundred percent confident in, but still, you know, given everything, maybe that's your edge, and mm-hmm. that you know that that's what mm-hmm. that's what that's the stealth the self you need to step into. I don't know. That's that's kind of also like a, a just that that was kind of a question or just reflection I had as you were talking. And then an, another one. I'm just kind of machine gunning a bunch of these. Yeah, I love it.
2: It's things. Cool. That,
1: okay, so and then you, obviously you knew Joe Gifford. We've interviewed him on this podcast too bef- oh. before he passed away, God bless him. And it, it's a, it was a beautiful interview. And he, you know, he worked with performance artists and he worked with conductors in particularly at the end of his life. But he was, he was a dancer, as you know, and I think, you know, and he, he just, I think also like yourself, he drew these very powerful lessons out of performance that were mm-hmm. like soul level kind of nuggets and mm. and ha- had to really, and, and similar to what you were saying, he was all about like the hara, you know, just coming down into your gut and getting that deep inner resonance going right from your, you know, right from your core. And he talked about that in such a beautiful way and he would critique me sometimes, you know, because like, I would have to do this public speaking sometimes. And like in the beginning, he was just like, you know, he's like, oh, Morgan, you know. And then, <laughs> y- y- you know, by the end, a couple of years later, you know, the highest praise I think I'd ever gotten from someone in the context of like performance or public speaking was when Joe came up to me afterwards and he grabbed me and he was like, you did wonderful, you know. <laughs> it made me feel so good because I could feel, I I could tell he was, he was responding to the resonance that you were talking about. And then, and then the last point, like recently a friend of mine told me afterwards, I've started toning sometimes before and after my meditation where I'll just hum and I'll take, I'll like do 10 deep breaths and I'll just, hum and I'll just hum at, at sort of at the deepest continuous vibration that I can do and it really has a very profound effect on my meditation and mm. sometimes I just do it now yeah out of meditation I'll just I'll just like touch my thumb to my middle finger and just hum and it, it's it's again it's it just brings me back into this moment but also creates this sort of warm deep resonance throughout my body and just brings me back to a kind of rooted place and that was something that also came up while you're talking i love it i just wanted to underscore and resonate with what you were talking about there in terms of vibration and and tone yeah
0: it can be so moving, right? Yeah. When we get, And I think of it as like the opposite is like when you're when you're stuck and you can't say what you need to say or you hold yeah. yourself back. Yes. But when you when you ride out a tone like that. Yeah. And hold it. You come. So that would be um, consistent with the emotional range
2: mm. where
0: you've extended your range. So the whole concept is that when you come back to center, you're more balanced. So, so much of yeah. us, we're so, so often trying to contain ourselves, Yeah, <laughs> domesticate, yeah. we're domesticated. And the, the expanding of a tone like that is, is, is gonna, when you come back to center, you feel more whole.
1: Mm. I, yeah, I yeah, totally so feel cool. that.
0: Sound is so cool, and I like. I'm not an expert at this stuff, right? So um, we practiced when I was in Europe. We practiced with some really progressive um, sound teachers, and I actually don't know the the teaching, the the specific teaching, but it. Um, it was through Ethi Friend at Naropa, who I believe is still there doing some pretty progressive voice work.
2: Mm.
0: And um, one of the teachers came over from Europe. We had all these amazing guest teachers come. And um, he was part of the lineage of folks who rescued the um, victims of the Holocaust. So when, oh, wow. when yeah, entering the, the site, you, you would hear these horrific sounds, um, you know, people on the brink of, d- of death that would be making these pitches that would sound like, um, you know, like a rabbit's high pitched noise or these like deep guttural moans. And, um, the gentleman, and I'm sorry, I don't know his name. I could try to look it up quick, but it's, um, he came back and he started studying, studying the voice. Cause he's like, we have no idea what the, what the human voice is capable of. And it's mm-hmm. such a bizarre story. Cause it's like, He's taken such a tragic thing and said, let me explore and innovate. And um, so the work we did, it brought up so much trauma. So we would make the ugliest noises possible. Oh, (laughs) wow. We're all all standing around going. Yeah. And um, yeah. It's very much like butoh, right? Where it is the opposite of domestication, it's like, where, where is your animal inside? Mm. So, you can, when you draw at that level, you're able to again becoming like you know a really balanced leader. Is easy, you mm. come back and you're like, oh yeah, I got this, I got my mids. It's the same when you sing, so if you're like, bah, 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 and then you're like. Bah, 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 and you stay really high, you go really low. When you come back to center, you're so much more articulate yeah, with your, with your mid-range, right? Yes. It becomes easy. You're like, oh, this is a walk in the park. But the, the emotions that you hit when you're really high, yeah, it's, like you're, it, it's, um, it's that same almost um, release from a muscular level. Yes. That you would get in yoga when someone just breaks into tears for no apparent reason. They're like, mm. something was just provoked. The same can happen um, with voice work.
1: Mm. That's interesting. So you taught you so far, you have brought up the topic of trauma a lot. And I, I, I must know be
0: traumatized. Oh, well, well, yeah.
1: <laughs> who, 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 who isn't? Who, who isn't?
0: Is that? Yeah.
1: You know, and obviously in so many different ways, we're all, I think waking up to the sort of defining reality of traumatic experience and how that shapes who we are, how we are, how we see the world, everything. And I'm curious, so there's two questions I have. One, if you could speak a little bit to this question of how has trauma come to to play such an integral role in your work. That's one question. And you can answer these in any order you want. But then another question I have is about meditation in general. I'm curious to hear a little bit about maybe some of your defining meditation experiences. Like, were there moments for you where you suddenly encountered through your practice a dimension of self or a dimension of spirit that just transformed how you see the world, how you see life, who you are. Maybe it was a catalytic moment or something. But yeah, so those are two questions.
0: Nice. I like this. Cool. Yeah, I think the art of questioning is really undervalued. Mm. So I like the second one especially. Go so, for it, um, yeah. The trauma and the healing is, I think, like this gift that I've been given where I've been given some trauma.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. And um, I think what's what's interesting about trauma is that it's very much um, – It's like in culture. I don't know. Is that a word? It's Mm -hmm. like um, in different cultures, we would process trauma differently where, you know, you have even like like the Holocaust again, you have so many victims that lived past that got out, escaped or were rescued and they persevered and had these beautiful lives and they had children that, you know, genetically would have been passed down that trauma. Right. But um, they're living full, healthy, happy lives. And then you look at like America today and um, one of the gentlemen in the group, his son is, I think, 21 and he won't leave his house. He's been given everything, you know, a lot of privileged access to whatever he wants in life. And here he is um, traumatized by um, the idea of getting a job and he doesn't have that um, Arachnophobia or whatever whatever it is that you can't leave your house. It's just he is not interested right like
1: agoraphobia
0: Yeah, he's not agoraphobic. It's that he just isn't interested in participating, right?
1: Mm, So it's like
0: what what provoked that feeling of inadequacy in him? So my understanding is that and I, I was like, well, maybe I should talk to this gentleman, but he's He's afraid that he underperforms so much That he's gotten himself, backed himself into the corner and said, I'm not going to step out and I'm not going to um, get hurt. So if you think about it, it's like how we navigate trauma is such a unique thing, but it's also part of a culture. And I feel like in America, there's a lot of places when we, we, we celebrate our trauma, in a sense, like it becomes something we hold on to rather than just sort of l- really letting it go in a way where you go, well, you know, I lived through the Holocaust, all right, now what? And um, I don't know, I, I'm not sure, maybe I need more, like, backing, because this is, is sort of just a, an idea that I haven't really incubated much. But yeah. um, this whole modeling of what it looks like to to deal post-trauma, right? Yeah. Like, people have PTSD, you know, because their dad was, was mean to them, you know, and I can totally relate to that, Mm. but it's very different than, um, what happened 50 years ago. Right. People didn't get PTSD as much. We just knew how to process it differently, I think. Mm. So, um, I don't know. Yeah. I myself have done a lot of healing and I've dealt with a lot of trauma. So I think that for me, it's, um, it's very much, uh, an innate experience that I have. It's like, it's in my, it's in my being, it's in my body. So that's a transformation that I'm, I'm interested in working on with others.
1: Yeah. I just agree (laughs) a hundred percent. I've definitely, I found when my spiritual community dissolved, you know, that, that I had lived in that ashram for 14 years and I, you know, it was like my whole sense of direction purpose meaning and you know, it was all bound up with the teacher the teaching and the community there yeah and and it all kind of just in a lot of ways it just evaporated almost overnight and you know ultimately in retrospect for ext- like very good reasons it it needed to and because just the power dynamics at the top that were not moving they were not evolving and so the whole thing was kind of stuck but for me i did this body-based therapy for about two years after that and 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 my body told me eventually i had to do it like i i got Mm. to the point i think it was a year and a half i went after moving to boston and and like i was just crying all the time i couldn't control it little things i could be watching like I could be watching Thumper the Bunny on the Disney Channel, and I would just start crying. <laughs> I mean, it didn't, it didn't matter. But my my body was telling me something. It, it was it was finding whatever way it could to release the grief, and then at a certain point, I was like, I, I'm I need to talk to someone. And then I was lucky to find a therapist who really worked with the body as and and her modality was beautiful she would it was so simple she would just guide me we'd start by talking and then you know she'd help me identify where in my body i was feeling this thing we were talking about and then get very quiet and she'd be like is there an image or a word in that space where you feel this whatever it was constriction or pain or tightness and usually like amazingly there would always be there would be something, it would be a word or an image. And the moment I gave voice to it, it was like the dam would burst. And all of it would just, it would just come out. And there was just, that was really almost like the heart of the therapeutic modality. I mean, we did other things like take, you know, like beating the couch up with a tennis racket and stuff. And that was, (laughs) that was how, it was all really helpful and like but I learned a lot through that about how your you know, your your physical intelligence or your body stores the trauma and that through this sort of process of becoming more intimate and listening to your body, you can you can release it. You can you can move forward and and also not feel shame in relationship to it, to actually let it all just flow through. And mm. then you know the 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 crying and and it it all wasn't so painful. Eventually, it just became more of like, oh wow, that that just feels purifying. You know, when it would happen, it was like taking a nice swim. You know, mm. if I, I would just feel I'd feel great afterwards. But that's how I'm relating to some of what you're saying from my own experience.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Does that re- yeah, resonate like, with you? Yeah,
0: yeah, a lot. Um, I think that it's, it, it's so lovely cause it's, I think of it as, um, you know, either like inactive trauma. So it's like when your trauma gets activated and, um, you know, it can be something that's all encompassing, whether it's like, you're saying like, there's a, a rush of tears and you're like, why am I crying? And other times it's like anxiety for a couple of days about yeah. something, yeah. right. Where you're like provoked or triggered. And what you're saying is it's it's been allowed to move right like emote it's it's allowed to have motion and release like just like yeah. the chi the chi in the body it's like yes. stuck in the in the kidney or something and it just needs to express itself and um and move And whatever it is, like whatever your belief system is, like there's something, there's there's anger stuck there, or there's fear, or whatever it is. And and then once it moves, you're able to share the story from a place that's not triggered, but it's a place of education for your own um, evolution. You're like, yes, this happened, and now I can can create distance around the experience to really extract whatever the lesson. Totally. The gift, the the juicy the juicy nuggets of gold yeah. that you're supposed to take with you, and that's really that's all great. you're supposed to take with you, right? Yeah. It's like that's and and that's the beauty of healing. If we don't if we don't allow ourselves that healing, then that sucks.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. That
0: can be ten years of yeah. holding yeah. junk and not knowing why you're you're reacting the way you are. You like you it, can read. Yeah. 50 self-help books but you ain't gonna get there
1: yeah totally
0: (laughs) you know you're like why do i keep behaving this way it's like you gotta get into that pain and like open and let it be okay at at some point it starts to like you're saying um it dismantles it disintegrates it changes form
1: yeah absolutely i think that's uh, absolutely i mean that's my experience it's like the, the the inner narrative shifts through the healing from one of pain or or you know any any of the range of emotions that you were describing to a gift ultimately something that has more to do with building strength integrating and yeah seeing it in a very very different very positive ultimately positive view you know because it's just Mm. that was that was part of my life journey you know it was incredibly rich and nuance and then part of it was very painful <laughs> but that was yeah. just part of you know it was part of the larger story and right. yeah I, I like the way you talk about it as a gift cuz that that really that is my experience too
0: mm. so um i want to answer your question too about yes. um those like shifts of um <sighs> The experience of of getting getting to that those points in meditation those peak yeah. those peak moments right yes, I know yeah. that's cool that's cool I don't really talk about that much that that much.
1: I mean, for you to be practicing for this long, I mean that I'm I'm just curious.
0: Yeah, um, I think that it's it's been important to. When communing, communicating about your practice to not get people overly excited about um, reaching these higher planes of um, consciousness to start anyways, because you really just want to get on the, the, you know, get on your seat and do the practice just to be present. And to sort of build those narrow pathways of just sitting, just sitting and mm-hmm. building the practice and not being yes. excited for some, some goal or some success that's um, sort of pointed yes. in a direction. But in all honesty, I, I love to reach higher states of consciousness. I feel that once you're accessing that stuff more um, consistently, you're able to maintain higher states of consciousness when you're seated, then throughout your day to day you're vibrating at a different speed,
2: right? Mm.
0: So mm. I think that um, where I was able to do some meditation when I was younger, um, not that you have to start when you're young, just that it, it, it is a nice sort of head start on it. I think I didn't have as many objections. And I really believed that the mind was, was pretty open. So I, I would reach those higher states when I was younger. And then, um, when I was living at the ashram, there was a couple of times when I, um, I got really, you know, like almost scarily, like I was like, okay, this is too much.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> you yeah. Know,
0: where you go, okay, I need to like kind of ground, but now with my practice, I feel much more grounded. I mean, I've lived more as well. So I, I feel safe. I feel completely safe in my practice.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. And so. You, so your daily practice, you feel like you hit a kind of zone with that every day whenever you practice?
0: You know, it makes me think back to the emotional range. I think that if you allow yourself to get to these higher states, then um, you have an easier time coming in and just sitting and getting into that nice hum, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're like, Mm -hmm. you know where you can go. Yes. you don't have any expectations and then the breath work is a, is so is so amazing as as a tool for entrance it's like mm. after so I start with the kabalabati, the fire breath mm-hmm. which is that rapid guttural um, diaphragmatic breathing that looks mm. it looks pretty funny like my dog is all, she always looks at me she's like are you hyperventilating are you all right you sound kind of like me <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: um, yeah. But you're, so you're opening your seventh chakra. You're feeling like a a real sort of opening through the brain and the crown of the head. And Mm. um, that just opens you right up. So clarity, um, energy is moving through the body. And then I do the Nadi Sudi, which is the alternate nostril breathing. And that balances out the right and left hemispheres of the brain. And it soothes the nervous system. And the effects are, are really profound. So I used to do it, like if I was nervous, I'd be teaching some yoga class on Boylston Street or something with all these fancy people. And I'd be like, oh, I'm so nervous. And I would do that breath the whole way. And I would get there and I would be like mm. calm as a coconut. Nice. So really great if you're like nervous about public speaking or you're walking into a conversation, you're not you're not comfortable in, do that breath, do that breath work. But in yeah. meditation, it, whew, yeah. It's like well, you just he, drop, right? It's like the mind is so silent.
1: Yes. You opened something up for me talking about this. Every several months I work with a shaman mm-hmm. and he he does this stuff called Arapa where like they blow tobacco up your nose, like really fine powdery. Like they, you know, in traditional ceremonial context, tobacco is a is very sacred plant Mm -hmm. and they use it all the time for cleansing and blessing and you know so then there's this thing where they they blow this very like finely ground tobacco up each nostril and and i had never i had never experienced it before (laughs) i had no idea what i was in for and he did it and it was just like oh my god you know my my brain just was like on fire it just went and like my feet were sweating and I was just like I just I started laughing because it was so in, it was so intense but also it was so like like when you were describing like the fire that's what it did not and really the, the the job or the purpose of it is to I mean after the initial like surge of like intensity it calms everything down and this Im- just this very powerful way you just go into a deep deep like zzz, just like zzz, like you go into that humming calm silence and that's part of the effect of the rapa and it also I hadn't realized this until you you talked about it in relationship to your chakras the first time I did that with a shaman I had like this the most powerful Kundalini awakening I've i've ever had just Mm. literally went right up right up my spine just went bam and now i i hadn't connected the two but now after you talking about it um it kind of makes sense to me that there there's this whole clearing dimension to it that i think is very it it sounds very similar in its effect because it's you know alternate nostril you know this is this is a slightly different technology but i think in in the end, has a very similar impact.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: Anyways, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I know. I love that. You you just deepened it for me yeah. a lot. I hadn't made I hadn't made those connections that you're making. So that, that's just cool. Yeah. But yeah, so you were saying well, you, were you describing can do it
0: yourself, which is is really nice totally. when you don't have access um, to your local shaman. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. If you're not in Colombia. All right.
0: Right. Well, there's shamans. There's shamans around. But yeah, yeah, that's kundalini right, right. is so powerful. One of my experiences of of really reaching reaching one of those heightened states was was via kundalini. A few times with different kundalini mm. um, practices. And when done mm. really well, you stay grounded.
1: Yeah, that's really important.
0: I believe so too. Definitely. So yeah, and then so, so yeah, the next yeah. so okay. it's those two breaths, two separate breathing practices, and conducted yeah. in that order, right? So the fire breath really opens you up, and then the nadi suti sort of smooths you out. So that whole mm-hmm. the whole nervous system is just like yeah, baby, and then yeah. you're just si- like the mind is silent, and you've got that hum like we're talking about, and you can stay there quite. Quite easily for a long time, just really mm. in that blissed out state. And then what I do is it's called Screen of the Mind. It's sort of um, a hybrid of this work I've been doing with Mia Hewitt, who's a success coach and a mindset coach. And mm-hmm. the PSI, it's called PSI Seminars out in um, Western um, America, out in Denver and California is their headquarters. And it's all experiential learning and all of these cool mind mastery techniques. And I've sort of merged them into one practice where um, you you send out a a large screen in front of you. It's like a big film movie, like you're in the movies. And um, you see yourself unfolding through the day. And um, I've sort of looped in like three storylines evolving through one day. Uh, of me just feeling completely whole and well. and I can see my like a smile on my face, and I feel really content and able to sort of deliver this this new message that I'm bringing through for the the Boston Men's group. And I can see the experience of others participating in the story, and that they are, you know sort of held in that vision, and transformed by by the information or the education that we're bringing. And then I, it gets so, so granular that I can feel my hair on my neck, and mm. I, I can feel the fact that I know I did my meditation practice, and I'm, I'm happy that I went to the gym. You know that like,
2: mm. that
0: almost like post workout glow where at three o'clock in the yes. afternoon you look back and you're like, no, I did my exercise today, I did my meditation, I, I flossed last night, I'm good. You kind of check in, like check in on all these little like pieces of data. Like, no, 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 I'm doing good. So I feel that feeling, and I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm ready for the next phase of my day. And then I like step out of the car and I walk into this amazing event where I'm speaking, and all these things are happening. And throughout the whole day, I'm in this really graceful state. And Mm. um, one piece that I'd like to offer because I think it's so so important, and this is the part I brought in from Mia that I was missing. I'm sort of an overachiever. Like I I really go after things in life. And um, this piece was, I think, the missing component for me was that I wasn't finding joy in that sort of like really heightened state when I was doing some of the more like gritty work. And now what Mm. I'm doing is really charging up those moments where I need to make all of my sales calls and make sure my budget you know, balances and make sure all of like the, the really, um, kind of day to day operations are really part of the joy package.
2: Mm. So seeing
0: that stuff unfold, seeing me in it and, um, feeling excited about that piece too. I think that that yeah. was super powerful in a technique that I hadn't, hadn't had yet. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my practice right now. Nice. Yeah, I mean I went through years of like doing Zen, Zen Buddhist just like phew. and then I did course in miracles, which is really cool stuff.
1: Yes. Seeing other,
0: you know, as as yourself and forgiving judgment. It's really really mm. I mean pretty important.
1: Totally. Yeah. And we hit on this a little bit before, but like I wanted to kind of mention like when you're talking about this this visualization practice it made me think a lot about, well, one, obviously there's there's correspondences and correlations in like, I think a lot of Tibetan Buddhist practices and different meditation traditions. That's obviously something, there's a lot of visualization. It's a time-honored practice. And then, it, it, but when you were talking about it and you were talking about like charging up your day and visualizing all these different elements and getting into the minutia of these different dimensions of your day. It really made me think of these Olympic athletes and and particularly the one who recently was snowboarding for the US. I can't remember her name, but she just owned it. She just dominated and she was just a force. Mm -hmm. And, And she talked about how before every run she would completely visualize everything. She would visualize all the dimensions of her run, how she was going to turn her hips and go into the roll and do the flip and, you know, like grab her board. All of it, she'd actually mapped out in detail in her mind beforehand and rehearsed it. Because like in a certain way, I hadn't, yeah, obviously, this is another dimension of your performance, isn't it? Yes. I hadn't thought about it, but it's like, there's definitely like a, a corollary there to your the performance thread we've been exploring. Yeah,
0: no, definitely. Too. I think with the, um, if you think about the Patriots, they do visualization. If you've got competitive swimming, I know they're huge on visualization. It's really yeah. amazing if we, we look at the mind-body connection that the endocrine system is literally releasing the chemicals orchestrated by your thoughts. So as you think, yes. as you think yourself through the action, your body and your muscles are even twinging to that, um, direction that your mind is giving. Yes. So going through and saying, I'm going to almost like send out a vision for what the day is going to be. It's, it's really high, high level mass mastery, mm-hmm. because what happens is, you know, when you're off. So then, you know, it's, you know, it's afternoon and you're like, Oh, well, I'm kind of getting tired. Do I really have to take this next call or go to this event or whatever it is? And you're like, well, that wasn't the vision. You you have something to um, sort of check back in on too. So it's like, yes. But then having it as muscle memory, I mean, it's it's really accessing the power of the subconscious, and that's where our behaviors mm. originate. So I I love this vision work, but I think if you first, before you just plunk down and do vision work, like get into your meditation first, right? Yeah. Access the yes. parasympathetic, change the brain waves. Um, you're sort of like opening up to having a clean palette and then you paint.
1: Yes. That's awesome. And we're getting to the point of wrapping up here, but like there's one other, I think maybe final theme that I'd like to just ask you about, which I've picked up in some of your literature and in, in, in how you're speaking about it in relationship to your recent experience with the Boston men's group. I'm reading this book by Tara Brock right now called Radical Acceptance. Oh yeah, I have that. And I'm loving yeah. it, you know. And all of it is about like on the one hand mindfulness, becoming aware of the stories that we get lost in, the kind of trance and coming back to the present moment and then on the other hand really bringing a kind of compassionate self-compassion to everything that you're becoming mindful of and and really particularly all those voices in your head that are judging Mm -hmm. you, you know, and then feeling shameful about judging, you know, all those layers. And I'm playing with all her different practices, experimenting with them and I'm finding them very fruitful. And I've noticed you use that word a lot, like self-compassion, no self-judgment, also how you describe some of the more recent challenges you're going through with the men's group, how, it sounds like you're being very careful in terms of how you're relating to yourself through it all and empowering yourself and taking care of yourself. And to me, those, those all seem to go hand in hand. So I wonder, can you speak to that a little Mm -hmm. bit, tell all of us about how you relate to that, how that figures into your work? You've obviously done work in this area.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's a really great question because I feel as though what we're trained in doing is self-criticism and we're really gifted in that skill, but it's a cr- yeah. crummy, it's a crummy debilitating skill. It's like we yeah. hurt ourselves and we expect that that is the currency of growth. We're like, I didn't do good enough, or why didn't I do that better? Yeah. It's, I think that's another um, sort of part of our culture. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough money. It's like this compare and contrast. It really diminishes, yes. and it's also one of the pieces that if you study high performers, that they don't play. They don't play around with that at all. They don't get into that mm. mess. They've, um, and again, I, I think it falls under the the um, umbrella of self mastery. It's not easy, right? And it's. I mean, I've spent years. Like people will. T- people that know me have, have said probably the most. When people are like, oh, Megan, like everything's okay kind of thing. I I get a lot that I'm very critical of myself. I actually get that a a Mm. lot. It's so interesting. Mm. And because I ride myself for greatness every day. Like I expect spectacular (laughs) in every moment. And I definitely fall short all the time. But I've smoothed it out in a sense where I can look at it and I can share it with other people. And I'm like, no, I'm not actually mad at myself at all. I'm just extremely articulate on what I want to do better next time. And for me, mm. it's no longer a judgment. It's like I did this um, TV show yesterday, and I'm like, I know exactly what I would do over. But I'm totally grateful that it happened the way it happened. I'm cool with it. But I'm ready. I'm yeah. ready for the next one. And I think that that's when you don't personalize it, that's um, a really key point to um, – Performance and, and reaching points of high performance. So Charles Duhigg, he's such a great author.
1: He's awesome. Oh I read his god. book.
0: Which which awesome. one, smarter, faster, better?
1: I read yeah. no, I read the Power of Habit. Yeah, the
0: Power of Habit. I haven't read that one yet, but I've read the other one like three times now. I'm just like, oh my nice. god, I just want to eat it. It's so so good. But wow. these, um, I don't know if they were Marines or they were someone in the service, but really being able to. To not make it personal that things didn't go well, but to just look at it and say, I can do better next time and not make it like, mm. oh, I'm not good at this. That's a story mm. that you can, that you can supplant as a belief if you let it, it, it will like get stuck to you versus being yeah. like, I'm going to try a different way tomorrow. So I, that might've been a long winded way to answer your question, but I think it's a really important study.
1: Yeah. Well, was there a moment where you realized you had to do work in this area? Like in terms of the self, self self-critical posture? Well,
0: I think that I was stuck in self-criticism for so long. And then people would tell me, you're way too critical of yourself. And I, I just thought it was really silly of them. I said, well, you don't understand that. That's why I'm so good at all these things is like, I really am asking for more at every turn. Yeah. When the, the place you come from is from love in non-judgment versus coming from a place where you're like, I'm not good enough. And that I think has been pretty recent actually, where I can say, I'm, I'm really like psyched about who I am. I think finally, and I think that that is because I'm, for the first time in a long time, I feel 100% in alignment with the work I'm doing. It's like, okay, finally, this feels right. Nice. Yeah, because I was sort of like I was like aiming and trying and aiming, and I was
1: like, "Jesus, I'm like just, just give it <laughs> to me already!" What are you like? What are
0: you? Yeah. Do? I a lot of oh that's god, I get a lot of energy, and I want to dig a deep, deep well.
1: Yeah. You know? Oh, that's <laughs> awesome! I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Will you share with everyone? how can people follow up with you if they want to learn more about your work, if they want to work with you directly. And and if that's something that you do, like just give us a little bit of like a overview for how, how people can contact, contact you and follow up with you and in what context. Yes.
0: I like it. So, um, I'm actively taking one-on-one clients and, um, so I'm, I'm putting them through like a coaching session. And then, um, I also am doing talks. I'm going into companies to teach about things like diversity and inclusion, communication skills, self-awareness not only geared toward men, but, um, there is a lot there with offering this stuff to men within companies. Um, mm-hmm. there's just very limited resources and there's so much for women's empowerment. So it's, it's nice to sort of make that bridge. Um, nice. yeah, so that's, that's a huge piece. So that's bostonmensgroup.com. Mm-hmm. And then I have my, um, personal speaking, website meganmarini.com and um, same deal I do one-on-one work as well as I do a lot of talks I go in to companies and and lead inspirational talks on self-awareness and communication skills
1: nice and do you so is it uh kind of with the marini.com and the one-on-one coach, is that sort of like life coaching or spiritual mentoring or what, what, what does that involve? I
0: like it. I like it. I've had it called a lot of different things. And um, I'm basically just saying conscious leadership. So it's about, it's really about that self mastery and claiming a purpose. So doing that, um, you know, why that big, why work, like what is it you want to be doing? What do I want out of life? until you yeah. get that sort of magic mix. It's really hard to to say what are the tasks I should be slaying each day. If you're not on purpose, mm. they they become sort of like, eh, sure, I'll do that. It's hard to live vibrantly. So it's really bringing all yes. those pieces into alignment.
1: Awesome. All right, so everybody, I will link up Megan's website the Boston men's group and meganmarini.com. We'll link those up in the show notes for this episode. And I'll also put in all your social media links, Megan, if that's cool. So people can check you out on social media. Yeah,
0: please. Thank you so much, Morgan. It's so nice to connect with you like this.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, you and I have, you know, we've never really had a chance to just do a deep dive and it's very inspiring. You have an amazing practice. It's so, it's so nuanced and so evolved. You've done so much for so long and it really shines through. So thank you for sharing your wisdom and your inspiration and your sort of pure energy with us. Nice.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: I hope you enjoyed this interview with Megan Marini. If you want to get in touch with Megan or learn more about her work, you can head over to her website over at MeganMarini.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, would you please consider leaving us a rating and a review over on iTunes? If you head over to iTunes and look for our show, the One Mind Meditation Podcast, you'll be able to find the link to leave us a rating and a review. And that is really by far the the best way to get our show in front of other meditators. It's a huge help. So thank you. If you if you do that or if you've done that, I really appreciate it. Over 90 of you have done that and over 70 of you have left reviews and it's such a big help. Thank you so much. And if you are looking for a simple meditation course, why don't you head over to aboutmeditation.com and check out our courses i've designed several courses so has meditation jeff meditation teacher jeff carrera a more advanced course check out our courses see what you think i think if you like this show you might really like some of our courses so head on over to aboutmeditation.com check them out and let's end with a quote and this one is from the rigpa glimpse of the day i love it it's a beauty ready Okay, it goes like this. There are many ways of making the approach to meditation as joyful as possible. You can find the music that most exalts you and use it to open your heart and mind. You can collect pieces of poetry or quotations or lines of teachings that over the years have moved you and keep them always at hand to elevate your spirit. I have always loved Tibetan Tonka paintings and derive strength from their beauty. You, too, can find reproductions of paintings that arouse a sense of sacredness and hang them on the walls of your room. Listen to a cassette tape of a teaching by a great master or a sacred chant. You can make of the place where you meditate a simple paradise with one flower, one stick of incense, one candle, one photograph of an enlightened master, or one statue of a deity, or a Buddha, you can transform the most ordinary of rooms into an intimate, sacred space, an environment where every day you go to meet with your true self, with all the joy and happy ceremony of an old friend greeting another.